it's time for Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Darkness beyond twilight, crimson beyond blood that flows. Buried in the stream of time is where your power grows. I'm Micah. And I'm Cheerful Matsy. This is Animation Celery, where we give each other cartoons to watch and then come back and recap them and discuss them. Uh, did we have a theme or was it just random? I think it was it's just, just random. random. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. it's hard to tell just from looking at what we're looking at, because I'm looking at uh, the TV special called Return to Oz, but not that one. Yeah. And uh, Micah is looking at Ghostbusters, but not that one. Hmm. Um, but first, hey, there's a theme. <laughs> yeah okay uh, yeah um but first what else um micah what else did you do this week well i'm looking at one cat getting into trouble all on his own i had to banish oh, have two fighting cats I had to banish one but one's still causing a ruckus okay what i do what i do um i read through the scarecrow of oz right um okay so i think i've well established that frank Elbaum didn't really want to write any more oz books yeah so at this point, he's written other books. At this point, he's basically taking his characters from other books and then injecting a rework of some of his stage plays and then just shoving them in tight to the Oz framework. Hmm. Um, so in this case, he starts us off with characters Cap'n Bill and Trot. So Cap'n Bill is a sea captain um, with a peg leg. Yeah. And... I don't know if he's Trot's godfather exactly, but he, he's he's basically um, uh, at her birth committed to protect and mentor her. All right. Um, so you might think, just like Betsy Bobbin, that she's another stand-in for Dorothy. And maybe she kind of is. They all look a little similar. Um, but they have an interesting dynamic. See, well, Captain Trot is resourceful and he's got a... a a big fisherman's coat full of useful items. Um, he's kind of meek. So when it comes to making decisions or doing bold things, uh, Trot is kind of the leader. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, right. Anyway, they it, it starts for them basically like most Oz books start. They, uh, they get caught in a whirlpool and end up in a, cat, in a cave and then go on a journey that eventually leads them to Oz. Um, now... This book also has an orc in it. Oh. Yes, but not uh, not a green brute that hates space marines. Um, Oz's conception of an AOR, a, a, sorry, ORK um, is uh, something that resembles a bird. Uh, it's featherless. It has four legs, four wings that are bowl-shaped. Um, I, I think this one's called Flipper. And uh, uh, he helps them out quite a bit in the storyline. It's, I think it was in, there was an orc in one of those uh, Dorothy, uh, was it Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz that you assigned me? Um, I think that's what it was called. Yeah. 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 Um, I think there was one in there just kind of as a throwaway cameo. Hmm. Um, at any rate. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, it also brings us back uh, a character named Button Bright. So Button Bright is a little boy. Uh, when we first meet him, he's younger than Dorothy. It's in Road to Oz. Well, when I was reading that book, okay, so uh, Road to Oz is Button is uh, Dorothy and the Shaggy Man just going on a trip, like an overland trip that leads to Oz. Um, okay. And along the way, they meet a young boy named Button Bright who just kind of tags along with them. And all through the story, he, he's his only real trait is that he's kind of stupid um, or really stupid. So I kept waiting in the storyline thinking like this is going to pan out to be something, but it never does. <laughs> yeah. At the at the end, uh, the wizard sends him home. But basically, he's just a little boy who made his family worry a lot for several days because <laughs> he just took off. Um, right. But apparently that's one of his character traits. Like uh, he, he's also the bridge between Oz and Cap'n Bill and Trot. And that he's been in a Cap'n Bill and Trot book, so it's a it's a reunion when they meet him there, and uh, <laughs> in his uh, in his own in his own non Oz adventures, like he finds an umbrella that takes him places, and this is this is just his trait that he kind of wanders off and gets lost in adventures. Um, so when they find him, 
he's buried upside down up to his ankles in popcorn. <laughs> he's just there. And by the time they uncover him, he says, hey, could you find my hat? Like he's, yeah. un he's unperturbed by everything, right? Um, uh, anyway, the book is called The Scarecrow of Oz, and he's in it. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> About three quarters of the way through, I think, we get to mm -hmm. see the scarecrow. Yeah. And he's actually pretty cool at first. Um, hmm. Glinda uh, sees all that's happened in her book and so sends the Scarecrow as an agent to go help these travelers. And uh, he she arms him with a bunch of magical devices. So he uses a magic rope to uh, scale some mountains, which he can do quite ably because he's light. Yeah. Um, and on the other side, he feeds a spider a couple of magic pills. Uh, to make it obey him and, and spin some extra strong threads so that he can use them to cross a gulf. Um, mm -hmm. He's kind of like a secret agent in this early yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, mind you, the next thing he does is he incidentally ends up in the pathway of a chase scene and a wicked witch named Blinky runs right into him. And <laughs> in her frustration, she beats him down with her cane and rips all his straw out. You know, I'm picturing this in my head, like the cartoon that I just watched, like the crawly animation, like. Video. Oh, that scarecrow. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm just picturing him there. And, but even the witch, like, I'm just imagining like the background all. Right. Painted and like, like sound effects, like. <laughs> well, in any visual format, I'd like to see him force feed a spider some pills. Yeah. I have a song to it. Eat these pills. Now, if you will, spin some threads so that I cross the gorge. <laughs> um, anyway, the, uh, they have a bunch of adventures. It's, it, it starts, as it goes along, gets a little worse. Like at the beginning, mm -hmm. I was quite pulled in because I get introduced to these new characters. Um, and I like these adventures when they have some real agent, agency in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they have to solve some problems and, but as it goes along, the deus ex machina kicks in at first, yeah. thankfully not magic. Um, but they, rather than calling this book, the scarecrow of Oz, they really could have called it the orc and Oz or something because the mm -hmm. orc matters more to the story. Um, well, you know, that's the theme of these books. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Um, yeah. And then magic fully on takes over once they get, get into the last leg of their journey. But, uh, yeah. The Tin Man of Oz. Well, I know who's not in this book very much. Actually, that's my favorite one that I read. <laughs> and he, he is the central focus of it. Okay. Well, I was just pulling a character that I knew out. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I can't remember. Oh, the next one for me is Rinky Tink of Oz. Hmm. Which, as I understand it, is another case of him taking one of his other properties and forcing the Oz on it. Yeah. And that... Uh, if you filed off the numbers, that it would not be an Oz book. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. The other stuff that's going on. Uh, do you, I don't know if you knew about this, but uh, Edion was going to send me a Bump in the Night DVD. Uh, not Edion. Wasn't Lutea. it? Lutea. Lutea. Lutea? Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Sorry, Lutea and Edion. Um, yeah. Yeah, she what? told me. She told me that she sent that right right uh, please edit that around to spare lutea there um i forgot about, i forgot who, who uh, did this originally okay so um this was months ago i think this was uh like four or five months ago and i just kind of had given up on it um but they eventually came in the mail i don't know if i'm blacklisted or something because um uh one of raven's christmas gifts came a month late so I've had yeah. like a couple, couple parcels just stuck in customs. Um, I'm wondering if one of the reasons she, uh, she actually sent me a bunch of DVDs, okay. and one of them is animated Soviet propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm wondering if I got if if they spied that and they went oh, and then my next parcel was from China and they <laughs> oh yeah took okay. a took a focus on them. Uh, anyway, so I've watched some of this stuff. Uh, I look at the bump in the night. Um, which, you know, is bump in the night, take it for yeah. all it, warts and all, so to speak. Yeah. Um, uh, but it did have the karaoke. So that was fun. Oh, good. She yeah. was wondering about that actually. 
Yeah, I did have that. School's out for summer thing where Mr. Bumpy's jumping on the lyrics. Pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see what else we got here. We got Harold and the Purple Crayon. You know that one? I am familiar with it. Um, you know what's funny? Yeah. Where? Let me just make sure I got this right. Yeah. One second. Um, okay, yeah. So the the website that I go to to watch my cartoons... Yes. Uh, on the bottom of the page, it has a genre list mm-hmm. where it's got all the keywords that have, the shows have been tagged in, you know, like adventure, science fiction, drama, you know, mm-hmm. cutaway gag humor, which is pretty much every season of Family Guy. Okay. Um, but one of these tags, for some reason, and it cracks me up every time, there's just a tag for Harold and the Purple Crayon. <laughs> well, there's only three cartoons on this, so. <laughs> yeah, and I've I don't actually know how just clicked the tag and there's nothing here. Ha, that's real funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, I am aware that this show exists. I can capture yeah. it. It's like, adapted from a, a children's book. And yeah. uh, uh, I imagine based upon our past experience looking at what wins awards or is nominated, this is kind of made to be nominated. Or something. Maybe <laughs> I'm cynical. Um, anyway, uh, it's about a pajama clad kid named Harold who draws the scenarios that he gets into. Mm-hmm. With this purple crayon. Um, so it's maybe a little like uh, uh, Ralphie from the Warner Brothers cartoons. Kind of. Except, interestingly, he really is drawing it as he goes. So sometimes while he's walking, he's stooped over and drawing the la- the uh, the line for the line, the, the land that he's walking over. Mm. Um, and, you know, when he needs things, he draws them. And interestingly, too... Uh, he can make his relative appearance next to something affect the way things are. So it'll be like, uh, there's no way he could enter this castle normally unless he was small as a mouse. And so he draws a mouse at his size and then a mouse hole next to him that he enters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute. Um, yeah. Let's see. He also, uh, she also sent Spawn, uh, which I haven't checked out yet. This is the special edition of Spawn. Ooh. Yeah. Right. I, I I bought the comic when I was little, um, but I had a, I, you know, I fell out of love with it pretty hard, I guess. Mm. I think uh, Todd McFarlane's art doesn't age particularly well. Ah, Good layouts, but the characters look a little weird. Um, mm. And yes, I got this, this fat collection of animated Soviet propaganda. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I've watched one disc. I, I imagine they all might all follow the same pattern. Um, so there's an overview video, which is like a documentary that gives you perspective on, on the animations. I think I would actually watch the cartoons first and then watch it next time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some interesting things in here. I think the best cartoon, I think it's called The Millionaire, uh, <laughs> which is a ver- it's got a very uh, familiar uh, cartoon scenario to people in the West. It starts with a rich old woman leaving all her money to her dog. Uh Um, But that's used as a disparaging commentary on the West, that the dog then becomes highfalutin um, and uh, uh, abuses his wealth, gets into politics and uh, promotes war. Yeah, okay. But it's fun and uh, the dog is fun to look at. Yeah. Mm. Cool. I'd I'd be I'm I'm gonna have some time on my hands in the future. I'd be interested oh, yeah. in I'd be interested in watching that. I'm sure yeah. th- I'm sure that Lutea sent it to you with the intention that you would eventually share it with me. Oh, I imagine. I imagine. Anyway, it's it's, it's funky. Like uh, when you hear the animators that still are alive talking about working on this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, for one, most of them had never been outside of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So they were just, you know, drawing whatever they felt about the U.S. Um, right. Uh, one interesting thing is that they, uh, on the one hand, they, uh, the perspective is to look at the American uh, black experience as, as like parallel or like as, as, as a comrade overseas, right? Okay. That they're exploited. So they are really a kind of on our side. Right. And at the same time, there's one particular cartoon focuses on how jazz is like the music of the decadent, how it should be <laughs> reviled. So it's kind of a weird parallel there. Yeah. 
but also another weird contrast is like I said, those, those animators, uh, I think artists are in some ways, uh, part of them exists apolitically, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, these animators have like a great respect for all these Western artists that do these. So they're, they're basing a lot of their approach on Western artists. And, you know, it's hard to depict something while utterly reviling it. Right. So, you know, they're depicting this jazz and, and you know, uh, swanky high life and the like. And I think there's some genuine love for it and how well <laughs> it's depicted. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I've been up to this week. I'll pass those on when I'm done with them. All right. Cool. Uh, well, let me see here for me. First of all, I, I have to point out, or I just have to say, like, I've, since I went to that website and looked at all the links just to, or the, the tags to make sure that I saw <laughs> that Harold and the Purple Crayon, right? Yeah. I was just clicking around some of them just at random while you were talking. And I saw one that said goth series. I was okay. Like, oh, what do they classify as a goth series? Turns out there's only one cartoon that has the goth tag. Hmm. It's, it's the girl from the other side. Huh. Yeah. So that's neat. Um, and then you talking about the Soviet Union has made me think nothing really to do with cartoons. But did you see the trailer for the Tetris movie? Uh, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. Huh. But no, it's I'm also... Not. It's not about like falling blocks and stuff. It's mm-hmm. about the story of how the game Tetris was, about, yeah. was was brought out of the Soviet Union to Nintendo, basically. Well, that's interesting. I feel like I've already seen it, but it's going to be a drama, though. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a there's an excellent YouTube channel called The Gaming Historian, mm-hmm. and he's got an excellent episode about Tetris. Yes. And what happened with it because it's when you think because that game was made by a russian guy Mm -hmm. in the when the soviet union was still a thing and so the story of how this video game developed by a russian came to the western world is really interesting and it gets into things like you know atari thinking that they could make their own tetris and right so yeah so i'm actually interested in seeing that movie it might be it might be kind of cool it'd be it's is Mm -hmm. neat yeah, um, I, I don't remember if it was Gaming Historians, but I do recall one thing I watched about that where his uh, his consolation for not being a uh, forever rich on having made Tetris is that he's basically tenured at Microsoft to do whatever he wants. Hmm. So he gets to just make, you know, puzzle games for them. Well, yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, his follow-up to Tetris was Hattress, hmm. which was, hmm, okay. Um, hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so there's that. Um, but what did I do for cartoons, you might ask? Well, mm-hmm. uh, I there's a there's a cartoon that I've heard of and I've been aware of, but I didn't think I didn't think about it too much because my understanding was that it's a very little kids cartoon. OK, um, but then I saw some videos on YouTube and I just kind of watched them and I was like, this seems like it might actually have something going for it. And so I decided to watch some of it. And I fell in love with it and I intend okay. to watch all of it. It's called Bluey. Hmm. And it is an Australian cartoon (laughs) about a little pup named Bluey Mm -hmm. and her little sister named Bingo and their parents. And I haven't watched a lot of it yet, just a couple episodes. But the two episodes that I saw were basically mum, mum, because it's Australian, Mm -hmm. mum going off to work. And dad staying home and basically playing with the two kids. And it's so sweet. I was grinning the whole time I was watching it. Mm -hmm. The first episode, (laughs) they're playing this little game. This like um, uh, dad is pretending to be a pianist and his piano is bluey. And so he's just laying bluey on his lap and going like, and it's tickling bluey's belly. Yeah. Um, and then Bingo wants her turn, and Bingo can be the bum bongos. Bum 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 bongos. <laughs> um, Feels pretty genuine. And then when they're looking around, like Bingo is looking for another toy, and she finds the magic xylophone. Mm-hmm. And the understanding that everyone has is that when you hit the little the yellow bar and make the ding noise, that freezes Dad. 
and he's <laughs> not allowed to unfreeze until they hit the xylophone again. And so they like freeze him and like stick his finger up his nose and draw mm. stuff on his face and stuff. And it, it just goes like like that where they're looking for, you know, they're trying to harass their dad and he's playing by the rules. But then he gets the xylophone mm. and he's <laughs> he like he freezes Bluey and takes her outside and sticks her in the garden. And he's like, my this. And he notices the pen on her fingers. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, there's some felt pen on this gnome's fingers. I better get the garden hose. And he goes walking off. She's like, mm, mm. she can't unfreeze. And then, yeah. and then Bingo comes up. And, you know, they have this nice, there's a lesson to it where Bingo is taking too many turns. and Or, or Bluey is okay. taking too many turns and Bingo wants more equal sharing. And so mm-hmm. she's not going to unfreeze Bluey unless they have this discussion about turns. And... <laughs> it ends up with them Bluey just pretending to be frozen, but Bingo actually unfroze her, and now Dad has to be frozen with the hose pointed right at his face. Hey. And they just have some fun sitting there watching their dad having to stand there with the hose going in his face. Just so genuine. So it, Well, it is. Yeah, you yeah. make up those kinds of games. Yeah. yeah. The second one is about them playing hospital. And mm. they decide that dad's belly hurts and decides they take x-rays, which is bingo drawing a picture and bingo draws a picture of a cat in his belly. Hmm. And so they have to operate and get this cat out, but instead they get an octopus out, but they think the octopus is supposed to be there. So they put it back. And then Dr. Bluey gives up. He's like, well, I can't get that cat out. There's nothing I can do. And then bingo, the nurse decides, look closer at the x-ray and look closer and there's a mouse also there it's like oh the cat went in to get the mouse so if we lure the mouse out with some cheese then the cat will come out too just Hmm. that like man what a sweet little cartoon what Mm -hmm. fun like six minute episodes like i want to watch all of this like it's so and the music is this great like it's almost a cappella. People going like bum 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 bum, like um, like like Katamari Damashi music almost. All right. Um. So yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board with Bluey. I want to watch way more of this Bluey. Hmm. Um. Did I do anything else? I got ugh, my my personal issues are continuing. I won't go ah. into it, but um, yeah, stuff's happening over here. But let's get to. Let's get to the other fun. Let's get to um, the Them old cartoons. Yeah. It, it, cartoons. Yeah. I guess we got to start with yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at Ghostbusters, but like you said, not those Ghostbusters. See, yeah. uh, in 1975, Filmation not only was making cartoons, but they were making live action series and they made one called The Ghostbusters. Um. It's campy, like we're talking big bad Beetleborgs kind of campy. <laughs> um, so it's it's about a uh, some ghost investigators, uh, two of them named uh, Spencer and Kong with their gorilla Tracy. Whoa, they pull the <laughs> little thing there. Um, anyway, way later, uh, Dan Aykroyd decided I want to make this movie about and uh, about busting ghosts. I'm called Ghostbusters and. Uh, notoriously, they spent a bunch of money to be able to use that name. But Filmation retained the rights for the cartoon, at least a cartoon called Ghostbusters. Hmm. So they perhaps wrongheadedly thought they would capitalize on the success of the Ghostbusters movie, made Ghostbusters cartoon, while the, uh, I guess it would be Columbia, who owned uh, the Ghostbusters movie rights, yeah. made an animated animated series called the real Ghostbusters to get around a lack of rights to the, the, the strict name Ghostbusters. Now I can't believe that works myself. Well, what, what happened the way I understand it was they made this movie and it was a big hit and filmation yeah. said, Hey, your movie's a big hit. Do you want us to make a cartoon about it? Oh, Columbia right. Went, right. Yeah. Columbia went, nah, we're going to talk to Deke hmm. and filmation went, well, fine. We'll make Ghostbusters first. I think it aired like five days before the, <laughs> Yes. Ghostbusters. And that edge made it a roaring success. Mm. Well, not really. Um, okay, so let's have a look at these not real Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, 
the episode I'm looking at is called Scareplane, and it's written by Len Riley in 1986. And can I just say, yeah, the first thing I noticed about this is directed by Marsh Lamore. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, is this Maurice LaMarche who just doesn't want his name associated with this? Uh, yeah. Turns out, no. Marsh Lamore okay. is actually um, very, very active. He uh, has continued to do uh, timing direction and animation direction on, on all kinds of things. Um, various Disney things, various Disney straight-to-video sequels, most notably the Myriad Lilo and Stitch spinoffs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Marsh Lamore is a real guy, not Maurice LaMarche. That'd be funny it as, a, be. As, as a pen name. <laughs> well, yeah, especially because Maurice LaMarche was Egon Spengler in the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, so, you ain't going to get an Egon here. Um, yeah, no, yeah, go on. Anyway, I, so, just, I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't set up the setting at all, so we might be surprised that we begin in outer space. <laughs> I <Yes>. was surprised. <laughs> I thought, like, this was like, is this a late episode where they've changed the setting? <laughs> So uh, it's um, we see a spacecraft being piloted by two robot guys. They look quite a bit like Skeletor, and one of them sounds quite a bit like him too. Hmm. Um, a ghostly presence takes over the controls and manifests for us from some gas. It's the show's villain, Prime Evil, and he looks and sounds quite a lot like Skeletor too. <laughs> <laughs> so the pilot pilot robots run away, and Prime Evil hijacks the ship. So oh no. Who are you going to call? Um, for all the uh, high-tech futurism of the start, the Ghostbusters headquarters is a ramshackle, tacky, wooden, decrepit building. Um, Jake and Eddie, those are the descendants of uh, Spencer and Kong. Um, and Tracy, the gorilla, apparently long-lived, are just hanging around when their time-traveling friend, Futura, materializes before them. <clears throat> So the uh, name. Yes, yes. She grew into the name, I guess, by being a time traveler. Yeah. Um, Jack and Eddie, what they look like is if these guys did the Dragon Ball fusion dance, they would merge to become Prince Adam. Um, <laughs> I always thought I was looking at Eddie and listening to his voice. Yeah. And I was thinking this is like if there was a live. Well, I guess there was a live action version, but like yes. if they were going to adopt this. Eddie would be Louis Anderson. Oh. <laughs> like a hundred percent. Like just the the shape of his mouth and the way that he talks. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um And he's fat. Oh yeah. Um he's just stocky. Anyway, so Tr Tracy is supposed to be the same or I say sorry, it's the same gorilla from the series. Uh Futura is a blue skinned Betty with a fashion sense that I would describe as attorney a chic. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of bare leg. Yeah. Um so Futura has arrived just in time for the phone call from uh, on Ansibone, their undead bony phone. <laughs> uh, it's from Galaxy Airlines, and they're asked to ghost bust their test spacecraft. Uh, that's the thing we saw earlier. The good guys accept. Uh, the pink bat Belfry wants to join, but Jake insists that he stay behind. Anyway, the group runs to their haunted elevator to be transported into the most haunted-looking part of the episode, the extra-dimensional realm that suits them up for the job. So the foursome rides off in Ghost Buggy Jr., their sentient jalopy. <laughs> kind of looks like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Even so, it just, you know, kind of drives in outer space. Um, Prime Evil and his flying monster flunky Bratarat notice their approach, and they suck them into the ship with their electromagnets. When the group crashes in, they're dropped down a trapdoor. Uh, Belfry is among them too, but like Spritel and Chim Chim, he stowed away in the car. Ah, oh, what do you know? Yeah. The group meets the robot pilots, and they all sense the approach of Primeval's minions, so they hide uh, behind some giant mailbags. That's good enough to fool Bratterat for the time being. And the guys get away before Bratterat realizes that a crewless test flight wouldn't have any mailbags in it, but actually, the mailbags were in the room before that point, and yeah, the robots, well, yeah, they, they were already... There wouldn't be mailbags. Well, um, there were, so screw you. I guess the robots themselves got the bags out and wrote mail on them, because <laughs> uh, they were hiding behind them. All right, I, I guess you take what you can get. 
Yeah. Um, so as as the good guys are sneaking along, the duct gives way and drops them right in front of Batarat. He locks them in the room and returns to Prime Evil to report the success. However, the big boss is un unable to control the ship, and it's on a collision with Mercury. Collision course, that is. Um, he summons Jake, for some reason, and the more skeletorish of the robot pilots. Uh, the pilot averts disaster, but not before Jake witnesses how the stressful situation makes Primeval's head turn red-hot and smoking. So while this is going on, the others escape activity, captivity rather, uh, because Tracy, a gorilla, is strong. Hmm. Uh, Jake escapes too when the pilot makes a distraction. Primeval zaps the pilot to take control of him, something he really should have done from the start. Yeah. Um, so another of Primeval's henchmen, Fangster, he's a wolfman, is summoned to scour the ship. The heroes are discovered and have to run. And uh, this is unfortunately before Tracy can fully repair their dematerializer ray gun. It's cute. He's uh, Tracy, remember, he's a gorilla. He's repairing it with his feet while he's leaning back in a chair and enjoying a milkshake or parfait. Yeah, he seems to do a lot with his feet. Yeah, I'm not sure how dexterous gorillas are with their feet. I don't think really that much. Hmm. Um, so a big chase scene begins. Uh, you know, one of those cartoony kind of things. Uh, Fangster and robot soldiers chase our guys around through the bowels and ramparts of the ship. Yeah, I was um, disappointed that they drew three uh, tracks with doors at either end, but they only actually animated them running back and forth through two of them. <laughs> you know, maybe they subverted your expectations then. Well, they kind of um, did. That that one quarter looks a lot like the uh, fireball quarter from uh, the black hole. <laughs> In one instance, uh, they try to dematerialize Fangster, but the ray gun fails at first. But the second try gets him. Uh, Tracy just needed to flip the switch. Yeah. Um, and Tracy, he's the most competent member. He takes care of the other robots, too, with a fire hose taken from his backpack. <laughs> and uh, Tracy and Eddie have magic backpacks, you see. Uh, they can have any odd thing in them. So they're like Simon Belmont from Captain N, the Game Master. Oh, boy. I knew you'd like a Captain N reference. Um, <laughs> so they take care of the other, the, the rest of the robots by systematically shorting them out with wetness. And then the Ghostbusters confront Primeval, and Jake exploits the weakness he observed earlier. With enough taunting, Primeval gets angrier and angrier and overheats, and it works before he can manage to zap any of them. And really, he just kind of looks tired from his tantrum, and he teleports away, taking uh, Bratterat with him. Yeah, that was, like, was anticlimactic. If they hadn't explained it earlier, it really would just look like he got angry and left. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, Primeval actually looks kind of cool, but he doesn't acquit himself very well here. Nah. So, uh, back on Earth, the president of Galaxy Airlines awards them with medals, and even Belfry gets one. Take that, Chewbacca. Yeah, man, like, they made a real special note about Belfry, and it said something about, you know, like, big hordes come in small packages, whatever. Belfry didn't do anything. He participated in some of the comic capering while the chase scene was going on, but yeah, that's about but, it. But he's not worth singling out. No. Like, if there he, was some kind of a Belfry redemption arc where they thought that he couldn't help, but he turned out to be the key to everything, then make a big deal about him getting his medal. But as it is, no. Well, this was jam-packed with too much story, I guess. Um... Also, uh, at the end here, we get a public service announcement about using your imagination to overcome a dire situation, which is a pretty good message, I think. But the plot also didn't convey that especially well. Yeah, when that started up, like, I was like, oh, it's going to be one of these filmation things where it has a moral at the end. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, wait, what moral did they learn? <laughs> and, and I was like really racking my brain as he's explaining what happened in the plot. And I'm like, where's the lesson? Where's the lesson? Oh, it's just don't be discouraged when things are hard. It should have okay. been about keeping electric appliances away from uh, the sink or the bathtub. Yeah, yeah that would have worked. Yeah. But uh, in my condition, I'm satisfied to have the keep positive in dark situations <laughs> message. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so Filmation's Ghostbusters. Hmm. I don't think that I watched this much at all. 
no, back no, in the no, day. No, 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 no. This is this is the thing that you see Ghostbusters in the TV guide, and then you turn it on on YTV, who couldn't afford anything, and you uh, go, "Oh, this isn't Ghostbusters," and then you turn it off. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, go ahead. Hmm? Go ahead. No, I, I, I just remembered another news thing. I knew there was something else about YTV closing, sh- or not YTV, uh, about uh, Teletoon closing shop. Teletoon. Yeah. They're turning but, off Teletoon. They're turning it into Cartoon Network Canada, and they're turning Cartoon Network Canada into Boomerang. Seems a little pointless. Yeah. Ah well. Anyway, that's that's that. Well, on one of those channels, they might show Ghostbusters. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, even back in the day, I had a stigma against filmation. Like, although I was a gigantic fan of He-Man, like so many kids were. Sure. I also thought that it was sort of crummy. (laughs) Um, In retrospect, like I didn't, it was one of those things where I fooled myself into thinking that I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm the opposite way. I actually have a higher opinion of He-Man now. (laughs) Mm. So, and I can like, there's a fair amount of craftsmanship in this Ghostbusters cartoon and everything Filmation did really. Um, now, it's got a dull color palette as well. So, like, the heroes all range from, like, yellow to brown. So, that's yeah. not helping it. Yeah. But there's some neat things here. Um, uh, oh, you know, the other thing the other thing against it is, of course, these guys are not the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Not the real ones. Um, but I like some of the stuff, like. Okay, on balance, I'd probably rather watch the Groovy Ghoulies, but it's got some it's got some Groovy Ghoulies-like things. Like, their headquarters is full of Groovy Ghoulies guys, yeah. whether it's the phone or the television or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, for my taste, Eddie is not weird enough or funny enough. <laughs> like, I'd have preferred this would be campier and sillier, which is funny to say because it's yeah. nothing but, but. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, for me, I, the first, the thing that I was really stuck on was the voice acting Mm -hmm. because at first I was like, Ooh, this voice acting is kind of rough. But then I realized actually, no, what's happening here is that the voice actors are trying to put some life into the lines they're given and the animation is not holding up its end. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Like if this was reanimated now, it might be really interesting. Because you've got good, hmm. like, you mentioned Skeletor, like, Alan Oppenheimer is here. Mm-hmm. Peter Cullen is here. Yeah, he's understated, Luke. I felt. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize it was him until I went back and was like, oh, it is. And he's playing a goofy character. He probably yeah. could have been wackier. Yeah. You said yeah. Susan Blue, Belfry, yeah. Susan Blue is there, yep. Um, but yeah, I was like, you know, this, these voice actors are trying so hard and the animators have no money. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember when I took uh, uh, Kathy Wieslick's uh, voice workshop, mm-hmm. um, she had a script for the new adventures of He-Man, which I didn't even recognize. I was like, who the <laughs> hell's flog? Right. <laughs> um, but she, her comparison for her taste was that the filmation voice actors were terrible. They were, they came from like a, uh, a soap ad kind of tradition. Hmm. Um, and the Vancouver ones were more, uh, truer, truer actors, I guess. But, hmm. uh, give me the, these guys any day. I like, uh, a lot of this kind of crazy Alan Oppenheimer stuff. Sure. Oh, and of course, uh, Lou Scheimer is, is Tracy the gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Lou Scheimer. Uh, yeah. Um, think of Swift Wind's original voice. That's Lou Scheimer. Yeah. I'm just, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's like they're just snapping their fingers that Frank Welker was busy with the other Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> oh, the noises these little critters could be making right now. Yeah. Um, I see a couple other voice actors here. Linda Gary is Futura and mm-hmm. Tila and, you know, a lot of ladies in these mm-hmm. cartoons. Yeah. Uh, Pat Fraley is Eddie Spencer, which we know him best as Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wild. And also funny enough. Santa Claus in quite a lot of cartoons. <laughs> it's a weird niche. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I, I have an affection for filmation stuff. Like, I think I, I don't really find this to be cheap. I find like back when they did Star Trek, I find that to be kind of cheap and terrible. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
I, I like He-Man and I like this decently. I'm not going to rush out and watch a bunch of this because it's not quite in my wheelhouse, but probably Brave Star would give a shot. Yeah. This, I will say, you know, my, my thin memory of this show was way mm. worse than the show actually is. Right. Like, I was watching it. I was like, actually, this is, I mean, this isn't great, but it's not as offensive as I thought it was going to be. It's just there. <laughs> Once again, you've made the, uh, the poster quote. Yeah, I'm the best. It's not offensive. It's just there. <laughs> Two stars. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think, uh, boy, I, I'm, I am crap at segues. Um, I was going to say something else is kind of just there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. Um, return to Oz. So, you remember there was a movie, well, I mean, there was a book called The Wizard of Oz, mm -hmm. and then there was a movie called The Wizard of Oz. Uh, you also remember from this podcast that there's a variety of shows, but one in particular called Tales of the Wizard of Oz, or Tales from the Wizard of Oz, whatever. I think Tales uh, of, yeah. Yeah, just a little, uh, it's made by, was it Crowley? Rankin Crowley, and Bass yeah. are involved in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently before that show, they did a TV special called Return to Oz, which is not the same as the Disney movie Return to Oz, mm -mm. as we shall see. Mm -hmm. um, now, it's long, but fortunately, not much happens. So I'm able to go through it pretty quickly. <laughs> Let's see right. how I can do. Let's see how fast I can go through this. Oh, well, I mean, I'm not going to speed through it, but let's just see how well I can encapsulate it. Okay. All right, at him, we start with a paper airplane appearing out of nowhere and flying through Kansas right into Dorothy's bedroom. It's a letter from Oz sent by airmail written mm. by Socrates the Scarecrow. Oh, in this version of it, by the way, in this uh, Crawley animation thing, uh, they gave the three companions names, namely mm -hmm. Socrates the Scarecrow, Rusty the Tin Man, and Dandy the Lion. All right, so... This letter basically reminds us what happened in The Wizard of Oz. Soc uh, Socrates the Scarecrow, he got a brain. Dandy got some courage. Rusty the Tin Man got a heart. And the wizard's wizardly powers were proven to be dubious. Hmm. Now, he also reminds us that the Wicked Witch of the West was melted. And there's a good witch named Glenda. And she reminds Dorothy of her magic silver slippers. Mm -hmm. Micah, yeah. Resident Oz expert. Yes. What are the slippers? What are they? They uh, are, you mean, what What are they, what color are they supposed to be? What substance have they been crafted from in Frank L. Baum's original vision? S silver is the correct one, yeah. Oh, interesting. I guess they made them ruby for the movie just so they could have a pretty color. Well, yeah, I mean, it was pointedly in color, right? One of the yeah. first ones. So, yeah, the red would work better than the silver. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So this this movie is more book accurate. They okay. do make Glinda the Witch of the North, which she's actually supposed to be the Witch of the South, but mostly otherwise it's pretty much the same. Okay. So anybody, so anyway, this letter basically reminds us of the plot of the movie. Okay, you remember the movie? Because we're about to do it again. Hmm. She sings a song about wanting to visit Oz again, and that prompts the paper airplane letter to turn into a twister. And hey, guess what? It picks up Dorothy and her dog Toto, and it takes them to Munchkinville while a song plays over the opening credits. Lots of songs in this. Yeah. Okay, the Munchkins hide because we have to repeat every beat from the original movie. Hmm. And then they come out when they realize it's Dorothy, and they welcome her warmly. And there's a song about Munchkins. So then Dorothy... You know, hmm? you know these Crowley Munchkins? Yeah. They, they look funky. Yeah. And this movie confirms that they're tree fruits. Yeah. They're birthed from tree branches. And then expectant parents, you know, stroll by and pluck the babies they want. <laughs> that's is that's in the books. No, not okay. at all. Oh, that's not that, no, that, no. that okay. that's a crawly thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, Dorothy goes off to find her friends, which is her point of being there. But she's intercepted by Glenda, and Glenda tells her that her her friends were all harmed by the Wicked Witch of the West. See, the witch was melted. So all she had to do was wait until winter, and she froze back into a witch. Okay. Uh, now, being melted did rob her of her witchy powers, and so she wants those silver slippers. 
and that'll give her her powers back. She forged the letter Dorothy received to lure her back to Oz. Uh, the letters seem pretty magical, but uh, okay. Um, mm. Maybe that's just the way letters work naturally in Oz. I don't know. Um, mm. But anyway, after sending the letter, the witch went to visit her cousin, the Wretched Witch of the Wastelands, which I guess technically is... Um, what's the word? For Alliteration? Us? Alliteration. Although the W in Wretched is silent, so... Um, yeah, but it's the Witch of the Waste, too, so look out, Sophie, she'll turn you old. Oh, no. Uh, and she borrowed some temporary powers. The powers will wear off at half past 20 Oz time, which is 8.30 p.m. standard time. Dorothy figures she'd better hide for the next seven hours, but Glenda says her best chance is to seek protection from the Wizard of Oz, who I guess people still assume has powers despite being absolutely exposed? Seemingly. Oh, also, Dorothy wants to help her friends. Now, mm. Glenda explains... The witch turned herself into a tin woman to lure Rusty and then dumped him into the brook to melt his candy heart and rust him. You know what? What? Pretty. It's a, it's a pretty daring scheme for the witch to convince Rusty to carry her over a body of water. True. Yeah. Uh, and also, resident Oz expert, was the heart mm. candy in the book? No, I don't think so. I think he... I, th I think it's painted wood that he... But he did snip like a square out from his uh, chest and then put it back in. Hmm. So I don't think it's candy. Uh, it, it, I think it is in the movie, though, isn't it? In the movie, it's a clock. It's, oh. it's a watch. Hmm. So it ticks. Hmm. So um, I guess they pulled out of their butts here that it's a candy heart. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, so he has no heart and he's rusted. Hmm. Then she disguised herself as a scholar to see Socrates' fantastic brain and then burned his diploma and made him into a scarecrow <laughs> again. And now the, the scarecrow's brains are actually tacks in his head. I remember that because tacks are sharp, you see, like he'll oh, be. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So it seems they're really picking and choosing what they want from which source. Well, it's easier to draw a diploma getting burnt than a witch. I don't know, using a magnet to pull out all his tacks. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then as an afterthought, she's turned Dandy's metal into a daisy. So, so basically everything has gone back to the exact status quo with mm -hmm. the scarecrow nailed to a post with no brain, rusty, rusted with no heart and dandy just scared. Mm -hmm. Now Dorothy resolves to help them, <laughs> but Glenda says that her slippers will only protect her. It'll turn the heartless, brainless and cowardly to solid stone. And already I can see where this is going and that's kind of not mm -hmm. okay because yeah. Being uncertain where this is heading depends on you missing the point of the original story, which is apparently what writer Romeo Muller did. Hmm. So Glenda leaves, and Dorothy wonders how to get where she's going until she remembers the yellow brick road. So much of this is just rehashing things from the first movie or book. So, yeah. so she goes off into the scary woods, and now we see the witch. She messes around with her flying monkeys and her flying umbrella. And I questioned this umbrella at first until a mm. little later in this recap when I suddenly realized that she lost her broomstick because that's what Dorothy had to bring back to the wizard. Right. So, okay, they good for them to maintain some canon here. You, do you want me to interject with a Well, actually, in the book. Is it? Um, she, she does have a, a an umbrella, but... She's never depicted as flying on anything. Oh, okay. So. All right. So she goes off singing a song about evil. And then after the commercial break, actually, that was after the commercial break. We came back to the witch. But um, mm. next, Dorothy comes out of the, the woods without anything having happened to her. And then she comes across mm. Rusty. He's rusted, so she uses the oil can to limber him up, and he sings a song about not having a heart. So Dorothy gets him to come along to the Emerald City to ask the wizard for a new heart. Does this sound familiar? Mm. Then you'll never guess what happens when she meets the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion. Yeah, so luckily they're very close to the Emerald City now, and the witch spots them. Her time is running out, so she decides to get to the city first. She does so disguised as a sexy lady with a Russian accent, like all sexy ladies in the 60s have, mm -hmm. And heads past the wizard's big fake visage and into his control room, where she tricks the wizard into hypnotizing himself to sleep. So I guess he does have a little magic? Yeah. Um, 
Her monkeys take the wizard back to her lair, and I actually kind of like this because she does a little rhyme. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, flying monkeys covered with hair, take the wizard back to my lair. And then when they screw it up, she says, can't you follow a single, a simple incantation? Because I was questioning why you needed a rhyming spell just to give them an order. But uh, mm. that line kind of made it all worthwhile. Mm. And she takes over as the wizard. When the heroes show up, they start haggling for the heart, brain, and courage they need. Um, I just got a text message and it made me lose my place in the paragraph here. Okay. Uh, they start haggling. Oh, right. They start haggling. And you can't blame the witch for trying to get the slippers that way. She's like, you know, give me the slippers and I'll give you the things. But Dorothy won't give them up because she promised she will not give up these slippers until the witch is captured or destroyed. The witch is stymied, but then her umbrella, which is uh, mobile, gives her Mm. a great idea. It's actually a good plan. Uh, They're tasked now with going to capture the witch. So then Dorothy will be free to give the wizard the slippers in exchange for the goods. So... I mean, it's a good plan, but it's also one more instance of the plot being functionally the same as the original. Mm. So back at the witch's lair, she gets into an argument song with the wizard about which one of them is more powerful. The irony, I actually like that one. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. The irony is that they're both powerless, but I guess... Yeah, that's true. I guess the witch wins because she has some ver- some, some borrowed Loan, powers. Loner powers, yeah. yeah. By the way, the wizard has a habit of saying words twice. Oh, yes, yes. It, you know... In the tales of he was just a straight up W.C. Fields ripoff hmm. and they've given him this vocal tick in here. The first time he did it, I thought the video just skipped. <laughs> so this isn't in the books then? No. OK. All right. But then after this song, she realizes that her watch stopped. It's 1915. So she only has an hour and 15 minutes of power left. She decides that her flying monkeys are too stupid, so she summons flying alligators to go get her foes. Mm. Now, the heroes are close by. They're so close now that Dorothy's slippers don't work. But Socrates gets an idea. He pulls out all his straw for the others to hide in and then hangs himself up like laundry to misdirect the alligators. Next, the witch summons a giant cloud giant to Mm. throw lightning at the party. But Mm -hmm. Rusty loves everyone so much that he gets in the way of the bolt and takes the shot himself. And he seems like he's dead. But then Dorothy sings a song about magic that brings Mm. him back to life with a moonbeam. I do like like, Tinkerbell. Yeah, Yeah. I like I like the the line. uh, How does a moonbeam at how does a moonbeam at noon seem? That's good. Yeah, that is. There's actually some kind of okay lyrics here. I also liked Socrates uh, song about not having a brain. Yes. (laughs) I sense a slogan coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway, everybody's fine. Um, She's only got five minutes of power left, and boy, those first seven hours went fast, and now it's crawling. Um, Hmm. The witch just knocks out the wizard and props him up on the window, which tricks the others into thinking, you know, she, you know, pretends to be him and says that he's killed the witch, it's safe to come in. And he wakes up and tries to warn them, but they're already on the drawbridge. And so the witch is able to reel them in. And in the mayhem that ensues, the witch's time runs out. She gets Dorothy. Dorothy's friends get the slippers. And the witch is going to drop Dorothy out the window unless they give the slippers to her. <laughs> now, you, um, mm-hmm? we, we met for games before, uh, shortly after we recorded last week. Yes. And you commented about the egregious panty shots in this of Dorothy's skirt getting blown up in the lake. Well, it's not even that it gets blown up. It's just that she bends with her back sure. to the camera constantly. So it was in my mind that here as the witch is daily from her ankles, that uh, that skirt is starched straight up. Boy, <laughs> it's not... yeah. It's like, well, we can't, we can't show her panties. This would be too far. Yeah, yes. yeah, this is too much. Um... So Dandy is ready to take the slippers and give them to the witch, even though Dorothy warns him that he'll be turned to solid stone. But he still he still takes the slippers. And mm-hmm. of course, he isn't turned into stone. It's the witch who's turned into quotation mark, quotation mark, quotation mark, solid quotation mark, quotation, oh, mark, yes. quotation mark, stone when she puts on the slippers. Stolid stone that instantly crumbles. Mm-hmm. And then the wizard agrees to grant their wishes. Back at the Emerald City. Tomorrow. Why do they continue to believe this guy? Yeah. Huh. Okay. 
So as you might imagine, back at the city, the wizard tries to sneak away because he has no magic, as we already know. And so do Dorothy and Rusty and Socrates and Dandy. But yeah. Mm. And Glenda shows up now and she explains that they already got their new things when they demonstrated them. You know, when when Socrates had his cool plan to hide them, that's when he got a brain. And mm. when Rusty cared too much and took the well, not cared too much, but he cared enough to take the lightning bolt that's when he got his heart. And then when hmm. when Dandy bravely grabbed the slippers, even though he knew it would kill him to save Dorothy's life, that's when he got his courage. Hmm. Um, no, that way to miss the point. Hmm. And of course, the idiots all thought the wizard turned the witch to stone because they can't figure out even the slightest morsel of subtlety. Hmm. See, the witch was brainless and heartless and cowardly. And the others had, well, they were supposed to have these things all along, but in this, no, they really did lose them and then magically got them here. Mm. And now Dorothy is abruptly homesick and asks Glenda to take her home, apparently forgetting how her slippers got her back last time. But it's right. okay, because the slippers forgot too. Instead, mm. she has to wish on Kansas's magic, which summons another twister to take her home <laughs> during the end credits. Yeah. Hmm. So I didn't find this quite as charming as the TV series, Tales from the Wizard of well, Oz. Well, no, there's a lot of differences. Yeah. Well, for one, the, the TV series is like, you know, a campy joke fest. Yeah. Um, Dorothy, and this, Dorothy has a yeah. cuter character design in that one, I felt. Yeah, I think all of them look a little better. The witch looks a lot better in the Tales as well. I like her monochromatic green outline oh yeah better than this yeah um yeah i mean this is this is strictly for kids this one whereas the other one i think anyone could enjoy yeah like this is just this is really just telling the same story as the wizard of oz again uh mm -hmm. miss you know oh there's a point that you you know you already had the brain and heart and courage all along but yeah kind of no forget that no you really yeah. didn't have them and you need to get like real ones now Ah, hmm. forget that um yeah but you know it oh the wi mm -hmm. the witch's cackle oh yeah larry d man <laughs> boy yeah it's, they're they, a lot <laughs> they have this one cackle that they replay yeah she does it seven times before she has any actual lines i laughed out loud at her introduction how she cackled once and then cackled again yeah yeah, yeah. i counted yeah. The second the second time I watched this to take notes, I counted. Uh, this thing is fifty minutes long. And oh, she, how much of his cackle? <laughs> she does that cackle twenty-three times. Okay. And so, each one is what, two and a half seconds? Well, like at best, like that's almost one cackle every two minutes, not yeah. counting the time at the beginning and the end before and after the witch is there. So okay. This thing is chock full of that one cackle, man. I guess it's lucky that I like it, but yeah, it's it gets annoying after a while. But I do sure, still sure. like the witch's overtly masculine voice. Yeah. Um, supremely disappointed that uh, the scarecrow's walk cycle is not the same in this. Yeah, uh, this is uh, a little better animated. Than indeed, the, well, uh, they, but they to replace they, it, they gave yes, the, yes. the Tin Man. It's like. His feet are on hinges, but yeah. he walks with his legs swinging outward instead of mm -hmm. along the the pivot points. So yeah, yeah. he it's he it's kind of like picture like a cowboy's walk, you know? Right. So that's ridiculous. <laughs> um Yeah. The you noted the songs had some good stuff in it. I would say it's hit and miss. This yeah. is Jules Bass, of course, making these lyrics. Yep. And some of them are so kind of stock and trite you know like that no one can deny and when lines like that came up I'm like oh this is just filler <laughs> but uh well there's a lot some of, of songs yeah some I, I guess we can forgive this one man for having some good lyrics and some bad ones yeah um it's kind of like i think it's like steven universe i think the songs in steven universe are kind of that way i i enjoy find... enjoyable flawed I find the songs in most things to be that way. It's yeah. It's pretty rare for me to find a show that I think has excellent songs in it. Um, True. Adventure Time. People sure love Marceline, but boy, I hate her songs. 
<laughs> okay. Um, I mean, yeah, the dad eating her fries is funny and all, but you know, yes. Um, I don't know. This uh, this thing was done by well, it says Crawley Animation on the wiki. I think at the time this would have been called Atkinson Film Arts, same company though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one thing I think is kind of funny is that okay, this is a Rankin Bass production, of course. Yeah, and how the look stays similar to Frosty the Snowman, despite that one being done by Mushi Productions. <laughs> it does look kind of like Frosty, don't you think? A little bit, here and there. Yeah. Like, especially Dorothy's face. Well, I mean, I guess yes. it would kind of have to be because she's kind of the only human. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I noticed that she has photographs of all her friends in her bedroom. Yes. she's cut, cut. Well, first of all, good for her for taking photographs of this other realm that people don't believe she's been to. Right. Uh, and also their color photographs, which I don't know hey! if this takes place in 1913, but, you know, pretty good. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, this sure is a thing that exists. No, no. Yeah. I'm a kid. I kid. But, but I kind of actually, yeah. Like it, it looks like a fractured fairy tale, but it's not nearly as funny. Yeah. It's like you, what you want to do is you want to watch the original movie and mm. you want to watch Tales from the Wizard of Oz. This yes. is kind of the the bridge between the two. Yeah, uh, skip it. And it just comes out unnecessary. But hey, mm. you know, at least I got one more, you know, I got the beginning. I like that Tales of the Wizard of Oz so much that I got the uh, the origin, the pilot mm. episode, if you will. So uh, <laughs> I'm happy for that. Oh, yeah. Okay. And by the way... um. A lot of the voices are the same, at least the same actors, especially yeah. the Tin Man. Not, um, yeah. And, Not and Dorothy, Witch. though. Not Dorothy. Dorothy, I really liked the voice of Dorothy in Tales from the Wizard of Oz. I thought it sounded a mm. lot like Judy Garland, especially mm. in the way, this particular way she says, it's almost like she pronounces Kansas with a U. Right. Um, <laughs> Susan Conway here. It says introducing mm. Susan Conway, so it might be her first role. Probably. I think she's a genuine kid here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and she's okay, but not quite as good. The voice they got later is better. Mm. Um, I tried to find more from Susan Conway and she has not been in much. Uh, I saw it suggested that she was in Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Okay. But I couldn't find her on the cast list for that. So maybe she was like in one episode or something. Um, That's the way with a lot of these kid actors. They're one and done a lot of them. Yeah. And then you get people like Jackie Coogan, who was the kid, and he was Uncle Fester. Hmm. Anyway, uh, let's fester on that for a while uh, with some <laughs> with uh, next week's malignancy. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing? Um, oh, well, you know, we talk about cartoons all the time, yeah. so we're going to change things up by talking about cartoons about cartoons. Oh. Yeah. Um, so yes, we're we're looking at cartoons that dwell on the subject of cartoons themselves. Very meta. Mm -hmm. So here's my stab. We'll see if we pick the same one. Uh, Matsy, I would like you to look at Animaniacs. Okay. That is to say, the Tiny Toon Adventures episode entitled Animaniacs. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is not the one that I picked, but it is one that crossed my mind as a potential backup. Okay. All right. Me... You, I think you might know what I picked. Do you want okay. to take a guess? Well, my alternate was a Ghostbusters episode. Oh. to say the real ones. Oh, no, no, not okay. at all. No, I've mentioned this a few times now. Ren and Stimpy. Okay. Uh, the episode is called Stimpy's Cartoon Show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think this might be from after they fired John Chris Felusi, so we don't have to worry about any creeps. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of creeps, uh, you can reach me on Twitter uh, at DrabSwatch. So, you know, let us know what your favorite Oz character is, you know, or what should we talk about next time? Uh, how about you, Matsy? Uh, I'm at AC Matsy. Uh, you can tell me whatever you want. Uh, I'm open to any kind of interaction on social media because I'm so lonely. Uh, Read between the lines, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and with that, uh, let's see what I picked for this week's Celery Stalker slogan. 
Oh, you can't buy a brain like you can potatoes or tomatoes. It can't be found. Oh, you can't find a brain in the neighborhood grocery. No, 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 siree, it can't be found. You gotta have one when you're born or else you'll go through life forlorn. You'll be like me most assuredly. A silly 